Tetris is a brand new biopic on Apple TV Plus that tells us the story of Tetris. That's right. It tells us how one of the most popular games in the history of video games, created in Russia, got out of the country and became a global sensation during the time of the Soviet Union. Now, this is a big deal because obviously, if you know your history, during the time of the Soviet Union, anything remotely capitalist was frowned upon. And the success of Tetris is the ultimate capitalist story. So this one follows Hank Rogers, played by Taron Egerton, Alexei Patitov, who was the creator of Tetris, played by Nikita Efremov. And it tells the story of how they came together and how the rights for the game was actually sold to Nintendo. It is an incredibly complex story with a lot of moving parts. And I think one of the smartest things that John S. Baird does in this film is within the first 10 minutes of the film, he kind of bombards you with this exposition in a very snappy, clever narrative way. So that information dump is out of the way and then they can just move on with the story. There is so much you need to know going into this, especially if you have no background of the game, that you would be lost otherwise. And I think weaving that information and history throughout the movie would have kind of slowed the pace down. But because he does it within the first 10 minutes, this movie feels like a thriller. I mean, this movie moves. Tetris is really fast-paced for what essentially isn't a spy thriller it's not a big explosive movie it moves really quickly we'll say it again this is a movie about video game rights that's it i think the movie needs that pace because there was so much confusion with regards to the rights of the game and you're right jonas bed does a lot of a lot of the heavy lifting at first but he also does a lot of really good work in trying to explain the chain of ownership with regards to the game Tetris because in Russia at the time the game belonged to the country the communist party rather and not the creator so the communist party was the one who technically had the rights sold to a third party who then resold it to Maxwell Corp in the UK where our hero Taron Egerton's character meets and then buys the rights for Japan so there's so many moving parts that may or may not be accurate or may or may not be legitimate. Because the Communist Party of Russia at the time had so little contact with the outside world, they assumed they had sold the rights to this one person who then kind of went on on his own and illegitimately sold global rights to different corporations. And then that's where Hank Rogers comes in because he assumes he has the rights, but actually there was no such thing involved. There was no such contract with regards to that and the Communist Party of Russia. He had got into an agreement with someone who got into agreement with someone who actually didn't have an agreement with that first one. Exactly. So yeah. that's the kind of complexity you're dealing with. And that's what makes this movie so fascinating because there were all of these people who saw the genius and value in this game. As soon as they started playing it, they knew what it was worth. They knew how addictive it could be. And so you had these corporations and these individuals clamoring because they knew they were going to make so much money off of this. But then 
there is this state, there is this instrument of the state. It was a seemingly impossible thing to overcome because there is a cold war going on. There is the Communist Party of Russia. There is poor communication. There is this idea of capitalism going against the philosophy of everything they believe in and stand for. Then there are corrupt agents within this state. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And it sent me down a big rabbit hole like these movies tend to do. And a lot of it is real and accurate. Like they didn't have to over-dramatize much in this film because everything was real and it happened. Sure, there's a car chase in the movie that's that's, that's kind of like a metaphor, right? But I think yeah. for the most part, everything that Hank and Alexi went through was real. It's hard to comprehend in 2023, but this was the late 80s. I mean, there was a key point in the movie about the definition of what a computer was and what a handheld was. And I think... Yes. It's little things like that that we kind of now take for granted. These are shorthand terms everybody knows about. In Russia at the time, in late 80s Russia, there was one point where Hank Rogers was trying to call out of Russia and they were like, yeah, you sure? Of course you can call, but it might take you some time. You might have to wait. Hank Rogers goes, how long? And then the translator goes, well, eight hours to a week before you get time on your international call. And it just, it's a weird thing to think about, but this was what it was like. The fact that nobody knew what any of these moving pieces were, you were only just creating the first ever handheld device. And Russia was really locked down at the time, and so any kind of communication outside was completely controlled by the state. I mean, even in a movie like Air, it still feels so alien that Matt Damon has to hang around with a pager and a payphone to know when he's going to get that all-important call. Because obviously, you know, communication was a very different thing in the 1980s. And I think what this movie does is kind of lay out the complexities of trying to make this kind of a global deal under impossible circumstances. But it does it in a really compelling and thriller-esque fashion. Partly that has to do with the fact that you are dealing with Cold War Russians and you don't quite know where you stand. You don't know if they're going to arrest you and lock you up forever and throw away the key. You don't know if they're going to deport you. You don't know what they're trying to do, right? And all of that is kind of laid out really well. But for me, what really got me into this, like, I know a little bit about the history of Tetris because I think I've seen lots of video game documentaries and I've read lots of books on the history of Nintendo and Sega and all of that stuff. But what I didn't know was about Hank and what kind of a character he was. And I think Hank is a really fascinating individual because he is depicted as this wheeler dealer and Taron Edgerton plays him really, really well. He's always looking for the next deal. He's slick. He can sell ice to Eskimos, right? But at the same time, He is one of the most honest and straight up people you would meet, which is an interesting contradiction to the wheeler dealers you usually see in cinema who tend to be a little slimy and conniving as well. It's a real weird comfort that Taron Edgerton brings to the character because you are expecting him to be slimy. You are expecting him to be snake. When you first see him at what seems like the lamest CES ever, (laughs) you know, in the late 80s or what they would become eventually. But when you first see him, you think he's a a Shylock. You think he's a snake. You think he's just trying to steal the next deal so he can make a buck and then move on. But over the course of the movie, you realize that 
that's not who he is, right? He's married to a Japanese wife. He's got the American bravado, but almost like the Japanese sense of duty and honor, which is a real unstated conversation that the movie sort of has with regards to Hank Rogers. And I think that was what made the the relationship between him and Alexei most interesting. Because Alexei is... Because Alexei is looking at Hank Rogers as, this is an American, I cannot trust him for 30 years of my life, for all of my life, essentially. I've been told that the Americans are, you know, laser-spewing devil monsters. And then he meets Hank Rogers and at first he comes off as that cocky American, completely like what he's been told. But then as they get to know each other, Alexei realizes that Hank is actually honorable, you know, which is a weird place to be. The movie does a lot of things really well. And I think Tetris is very similar to what a sports movie is and should be. It feels like it hits those kind of beats. It feels like it hits the same beats that Air does. And I think this movie too kind of lives and dies by those moments because obviously we know how this plays out. We know Nintendo got the handheld rights. We know it was bundled with every Game Boy. We know it becomes one of the biggest games on the planet. We know all of that stuff, right? And it's the same with Air, right? You see Air Jordans everywhere. You know the deal was made. You know it was a success. And yet movies like this, they live and die by being able to keep you in suspense until the actors in that movie get the positive response. And so with everything that's going on in Tetris as well, I think Baird manages to hold that tension and suspense throughout. Because even though you know the outcome, you may not know every single step as to how it got there. And so there are still massive surprises in this film. And I think that's the cool thing about it. Like the fact that a movie like this, the fact that Air can still surprise us is absolutely fantastic. As I was watching Tetris, I found myself asking myself, did we get Tetris? Did Tetris actually come out when I thought it did? You know, there were moments I was thinking to myself, did did we eventually get it later after they sorted all this out? Was Hank Rogers successful? Because even I was doubting myself because the film was moving in such a way that I wasn't sure if we came out then. It's a weird place to be in my head. Toby Jones plays one of the characters, this wheeler dealing guy who's (laughs) supposedly got the rights and is trying to get the global rights and the handheld rights. He's just another person who's vying for this million dollar. I say million dollar because that's all they thought it was worth at the time, this million dollar deal. And then you've got the Maxwells, who I knew very little about. And the Maxwell Mm. family were this Rupert Murdoch-esque billionaires who controlled media and all sorts of industry and they were dodgy as fuck and they were trying to control the rights to this as well. Robert Maxwell, the real life Robert Maxwell dies under mysterious circumstances much later in life. Like when you start reading about the Maxwells, it's crazy as well, right? Kevin Maxwell, his son, was actually consulted on the film. Not consulted, but I think they kind of spoke to him. And he too agreed that his father was depicted in a correct way. (laughs) I mean... Can I just say, Kevin Maxwell and these Maxwells is the brother and father to Ghislaine Maxwell. Exactly. Can I just say, there's Who that was relation as well. with the whole Epstein thing. It's like yeah, the whole so, family is super fucking dodgy. But I think what else I found most interesting about it was the reminder that you will know this, and I will know this, and many people in their 40s or late 30s will know this, that game rights at that time was a weird place to be. 
like now you've got the developer, you've got the publisher, and that's it. Whereas in the 80s, I remember going to computer shops and buying the same game but having different names on it because they were published via different routes and they all had different naming schemes. None of them were real because they were all pirated games anyway. You buy them off floppy disks. Yeah. I love how Baird sort of, he didn't go into it, but he laid out that this was the natural cause of events. So the Toby Jones character, Robert Stein, would buy the rights from, bought the rights rather from communist Russia and then sells it to the Maxwells, who then has a booth at CES where Hank Rogers buys it from them, or not buys, rather licenses it from them, who then sells it to Nintendo in Japan for Japan rights, who then goes to the US. So it's a really weird, convoluted way to get a game out into the world. I just thought that was crazy, yeah. It's also very smart in its execution because I think aesthetically as well, what the movie does is quite impressive. Baird uses 8-bit graphics at certain bits Mm -hmm. to kind of highlight the point he's trying to make. And he doesn't overdo it. And he uses it as and when it's necessary. And I think it does... I think it works very well in the film to create this kind of aesthetic kick. That's very cool. He uses it significantly during that car chase sequence at the end. And I think it adds so much dramatic tension to that moment and makes it a lot more fun. I think the culture shock that Hank Rogers faces when he lands in Russia as well is depicted very very interestingly because he doesn't just have a culture shock but it's also a part of how he deals with it being this slick communicator wheeler dealer guy Mm. because he he's so american even though he's not american but he's so american in the way he approaches this because he thinks ah yes i'm gonna be able to talk my way out of everything i mean his interpreter is just like you can't just walk into a government office in russia right they will arrest you and he's like nah don't worry just watch me i can do this and he just like waltzes on I mean, all of that stuff is very interesting because obviously he's encountering Russian people who haven't experienced this firsthand as well. I mean, they were all living in a time when everything they heard about each other was through third parties and propaganda. And so that idea of these individuals encountering a real life Russian and real life American for the first time was played out very, very well. I like those scenes. There was a beautiful sort of three, two-stage evolution thing there that Hank Rogers goes through, right? He arrives in Russia and thinks, I'm paraphrasing, but he feels like he could just, like you said, waltz it into any government building and not realize that that is a potential crime against the state. He thinks that, ah, it's okay, I'll just get a tourist visa and then we'll just wing it from when we get there. Not realize that, you know, if he's caught doing business in Russia on a tourist visa, he could go to jail. So there's that. There's the acceptance that he needs Russian assistance. He needs a translator. He needs to accept the local customs. And then there's that next one when he goes to that underground party. And he realizes that actually the Russians are just like Americans. Exactly. So that was a beautiful moment. Yeah. And also this idea that there was a universality of what young people would react to even back then, before the internet, before social media, before virality, things managed to get in, things managed to get out of the country. And and it may not be as pervasive as it is today, but there was still a kind of common culture that could appeal. 
And I think that was quite mm. interesting. And I think Tetris, the game, kind of speaks to that as well. Because yeah. if there is a metaphor for all of this, it's this idea that such a simple game with these blocks being able to kind of fit in as you rotate them in different ways is kind of a metaphor for the American and Russian society and even the global society at some point, right? So I think that's the point yeah. that they're trying to make with all of that. It's a very, very well-made film. I think it's the best possible rendition of this story. There is a way to tell the story, and if it was a documentary, I could see it go in a certain way. But I think because it's fiction, with all of the tension that he brought into the film, with all of the thriller elements he brought in, it just makes it really, really compelling. Also, quick note, Ayane Nagabuchi, who plays Akemi Rogers, who plays Hank's wife, the Japanese actress, she's absolutely fantastic in this. But many people may not realize that she's Japanese fucking royalty in the sense that her mother was Etsuko Shihomi, a Japanese actress. She appeared in martial arts movies, samurai movies between the 1950s and the 1970s. Her father was Suyoshi Nagabuchi, who was a singer-songwriter, actor, poet. Like, she's somebody. And yeah, and just playing this tiny role in this film. But when her name yeah. popped up in the credits, I was like, holy shit, do these white people know who she is? <laughs> <laughs> I also want to call out the two sort of lead Russians in this. Nikita Efremov, who plays Alexei Pezhenov, and Sofia Lebedeva, who plays the translator Sasha. Yeah. Can I just say, I like the fact that they got actual Russians for this. Yeah, and not they an did. American-speaking Russian. Can I just say that's that's what I like? They got Russians speaking English with their own Russian accents. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say I love the fact that they got actual Russians to play in this movie. It's a weird thing to say, but it, it's a kind of extra step that Hollywood tends to not do sometimes. Yeah. They would just hire an American or they do a casting call and be like, how's your Russian? You know? I like that they did this thing where they got actual Russians to do it. We got a chance to speak to the people behind the movie. Our interview with Taron Egerton and Baird, the director, is up on our Instagram. But we also spoke briefly to Hank and Alexi. And I think, for me, this is the most exciting thing. Hank and Alexi are still friends. After all of these years, Yes, they're still yeah. friends. And I love that because so many of these tech stories end up with, yes, they're now estranged and they had a massive falling Never out. Never spoke and again. Yeah. Exactly, and all that stuff. Yeah. But no, Hank and Alexi still hang out. They're still cool. They're still friends. It's just, yeah, that's just a nice end to the story. You know, I never looked up. I don't know why I didn't do it. But did they ever release any more games after that? I mean, I'm sure they did. But like, I don't know if I've ever played any more of the other games. So Hank's daughter, who is seen in the movie, runs the Tetris Corporation now. Right, okay. Because obviously the Tetris Corporation is mahusive and they still mm -hmm. put out Tetris games. There is a VR Tetris game for the PS5 right now. Oh, so man. if you have I, the I've VR seen, set. I've seen clips of that. That Yeah, that just is great. And then of course there's Tetris for your mobile devices. So the Tetris Corporation is still a very big thing. And uh, Hank's daughter runs it now. So that's kind of cool. Go watch Tetris. It's now streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. We highly recommend it. We think if you're a fan of the game... 
you will enjoy it a lot and you will learn new things. God knows we did. Let us know what you think once you've seen it. You know how you can reach out. All of our social media feeds at GogglerMY. You can also email us on podcast at goggler.my or send us a WhatsApp on the Goggler hotline 012-524-5208. Drop us a line on any one of those platforms and we will send you a link to our brand new Discord server where you can talk to us in real time. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Goggler Podcast.